Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is co-host and lifelong H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. And Stephen, of the many scenarios going into the bubble for the Rockets, this might be the worst case scenario. They get the Thunder in the first round, which is the third best team in the NBA since Thanksgiving and who beat the Rockets by an average of 13 points the last two times they played the Rockets. This is not what they wanted. No, it's not what they wanted. That Oklahoma City being who you're talking about. And, and you know, the, the worst thing about it, Robert, is that it, it, the table was set for the Rockets. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate that we had the time off that they did, but it at least gave the players, you know, especially from a health standpoint, you know, players like Eric Gordon and, and others, you know, a chance to kind of rest their legs, heal from injuries. So, you know, here Eric Gordon comes back, but Russell Westbrook gets injured at the absolute worst time it can happen. And so not only is is he going to be out at least for the first game and, and probably a few, but he's not even going to get to play against his former team that traded him to the Rockets last summer. So just on, on so many levels, it's unfortunate. Do you really what? West Westbrook playing in the play. He hasn't been all that good in the playoffs. I think we forget no, about that. He hasn't. He hasn't. And the Rockets, uh, you know, were a, a, a positive recipient of that on multiple occasions. So maybe there is, if, if you're looking at a positive, maybe there is that to consider. Yes. So this series, it's an interesting dichotomy because when you look at it, Oklahoma City takes a lot of mid-range jumpers. We know what the Rockets do. They don't do that at all. Oklahoma City never turns the ball over. The Rockets have really caused a lot of turnovers since they've traded for Covington, especially in the bubble. Oklahoma City wins the free throw battle every night, and the Rockets rely on free throws from Harden and Westbrook, as we know, if, assuming Westbrook plays at some point in this series. And you got all the these major differences, and you got the Chris Paul revenge factor. But what sucks about this series, maybe as much as any series in the first round, as I was thinking about this, Stephen, is that it'll be in Orlando with no home, home court because... It sure would have been fun to hear and feel the crowd with Westbrook and Oklahoma City and Paul coming back to Houston. Yeah, you're unfortunately going to miss a lot of dynamics, you know, just because of the fact that there are no fans. So, I, you know, it, but it should be an intriguing series. I mean, the thing is, every team is, is even because they're on a neutral site. But, yeah, with the Rockets, that, that excitement factor, you know, of, of course, as you said, Russell Westbrook, you know, even when he went back to Oklahoma City, uh, didn't fare all that well, but at the same time, it, it's just the whole dynamic of the playoffs. You know, each player, Russell Westbrook versus Chris Paul playing against their former team, all of those things are eliminated. So the Rockets, uh, you know, they're, they're going to have to dig down deep to win this series, you know, not just from the health factor of Russell Westbrook, but the inconsistencies that they have with Eric Gordon, you know, he's back, but he still doesn't look like the Eric Gordon that we know he can be. And he is going to start in Westbrook's place. So there's just a lot of dynamics. And, and the team has, has definitely lost some of the momentum they had at the beginning of the bubble. So it's going to be an intriguing series, really, uh, on a lot of fronts. Yeah, that's the guy you just mentioned that I'm most, frankly, concerned about. And, and it, who is the biggest X factor? Because let's not forget, Eric Gordon was the second best player in last year's playoffs for the Rockets. And this is a pretty simple question when you look at him. Are we going to get the Eric Gordon we saw the previous two postseasons? Or are we getting the misfiring, can't hit the side of a barn Eric Gordon from this season? It's funny, Stephen, because when he hasn't played, uh, you know, when he hasn't played in a while this year, I hear, oh, he's not shooting well because he's not in rhythm or he doesn't have his legs yet. When he's playing regularly, I hear, well, his legs aren't under him because he's playing all the time. You can't have it both ways. Eric Gordon, shoot the ball, get it in the basket. That's what we pay you for. Well, yeah, you, there's only so many excuses. It's kind of like the same thing with, with James Harden in the, in the postseason. I mean, you, at some point, you've got to perform. These guys are getting paid big money. They're professionals. And you're always going to face circumstances. I mean, think of how different this whole scenario is with the bubble. But you know what? Every team is faced with that. At some point, this is the postseason. You've got to come through. This is when you find out what you're really made of. And we're going to hear the same thing about James Harden. You know, is he going to come through in the postseason? Finally, is he really going to carry the team on his back? Can he do it? Well, it's the same with Eric Gordon. And and Eric, you know, when he did come back earlier this year, 
just didn't have it. And, and then, of course, when he starts to get it, he gets hurt again. So there are just a lot of questions, and, and rightfully so, uh, with Eric Gordon. The Rockets also need the Daniel House that was shooting lights out and playing strong defense when the bubble started. He's a rhythm player, and he feeds off success offensively. I mean, if that's the thing that I really notice about him is he just feeds off of it, you know, when he has that success. And so it's going to be a big deal, in my mind, if I see him – start this series hitting his shots? Well, he has to hit his shots, uh, for sure. And, of course, remember last year in the postseason, he definitely fell apart. And you just have to hope that he learned from that and is much more focused. But he definitely has to hit his shots. And it would be nice to see Austin Rivers, you know, have the rhythm that he did a couple of games ago. You know, the the Rockets, obviously, and I I know this is an obvious statement, but they're going to need all their shooters to be on Jeff Green has played well. He's going to need to come through. But obviously they live and die by the three-point shot. But they they just have to play a better inside game when that three-pointer is not working. Yeah, we'll get to Jeff Green in a little bit. But one of the more interesting matchups is going to be James Harden defended by Lugentz Dort. And I don't even know if I'm saying his name right, but I think it's (laughs) Lugentz Dort. And I'm sure a lot of Rockets fans, maybe Stephen, even you two are going, well, who is this guy? Who is Dort? And let me just, I'll give you the quick education on him. He's a 21-year-old rookie out of Harden's alma mater, Arizona State. So a couple of Sun Devils going at each other. That should be fun. He's six foot three, 215 pounds. And just about the only guy with the physical size to guard James Harden on Oklahoma City. What's interesting for me, Stephen, is that they've had the best clutch lineup in basketball Oklahoma City has with Dennis Schroeder on the court and a three-guard lineup along with Gallinari and, and Steven Adams. So what's going to happen at the end of the game? Who guards Harden if they do that? And if they don't do that, you know, that that could be a big benefit for the Rockets. Well, it certainly could. It's going to be something interesting to watch. And, and again, it's something that James Harden can take advantage of. So, yeah, a lot of intriguing questions, and that's that's certainly one of them. Yeah, Dort, I, I'm, you know, don't know a whole lot about him, but uh, if if he burns the Rockets, then you'd probably be calling him Dork if, if if you're a Rockets fan. One thing that always concerns us about the Rockets is rebounding, but the Thunder are 23rd in the NBA in rebounding. So, Stephen, maybe this is one of the rare teams who can't really take advantage of the pocket Rockets. Well, that's right. And, and you know, the Rockets were out-rebounded in some games. You know, what was it, the Bucks game? that They were very much out-rebounded, and they came through. So it, it just means they have to hit on other cylinders in order to get the job done. But, yeah, the, the Thunder, not exactly a great rebounding team, but it's going to be up to the Rockets to, to be aggressive early and, and to make sure that they don't fall behind early, or it's going to be a long series. You, you, you can't play the way they played against the Sixers and – you know, you can say what you want about, well, it doesn't matter in the seating and things like that, but you just you you certainly can't afford to do that against Oklahoma City and expect to win a series. You always hear in sports, oh, they're playing their old team and there's going to be extra added incentive, and it, it sometimes feels like it with Rockets or Astros or Texans, you know, we're not seeing it with them getting up for their old team, but. You know, you talk about James Harden and Westbrook and and Chris Paul playing against their old team, but Jeff Green, you mentioned Jeff Green's name, Stephen. Jeff Green has been exceptional in the bubble. He's been a perfect fit for the Rockets since they brought him. He's been been, been great since they, they picked him up, and he was a former Oklahoma City Thunder with James Harden back in the day and with Russell Westbrook, and that that is an exciting part about where the Rockets are right now. So if they don't have Russell Westbrook, um, yeah, that's going to be a big deal. But, you know, you, if you get a Jeff Green that can hit outside shots the way he's been doing for the Rockets, and just overall he's playing really well. He's got some size. He causes some, some uh, problems as far as uh, on the defensive end with with his size and being able to switch exactly what you need from a Rockets player. I, I love the fact that Jeff Green is, is on board with this team right now. He's, he's making a big difference, and they got him for nothing. Yeah, they got him for cheap, and that that's really, if, if you're Tillman Fertitta, Daryl Morey, that, that's probably the thing that they're really smiling about. Is he was, he was, they got him at bargain basement prices. Yeah, I really like the looks of Jeff Green, and, and just the fact that I, I think when you talk about you know players playing against their former teams, I think it's an emotional high, but only for so long. And, and you know, 
James Harden has, has played plenty of times against Oklahoma City. You know, Chris Paul's done it a, you know, a few times against the Rockets already. I, I think really what's more at stake is the postseason. That's what these players are going to be concentrating on is just winning in the playoffs. Sure, it's in the back of their mind, but I think after a while, that emotional high goes down and you get back to, to kind of thinking about what's really at stake. And that's winning the series, because if you don't win this series, well, you know, the obvious, your season is done. What else for you jumps out in the series or what's going on with the Rockets right now? What are you what are you looking at? Well, you know, the Rockets were starting to play so well defensively up until the last couple of games. I mean, they've, they've got to get that back on track. I mean, it's just it's just it has to happen. And I know we've talked about the consistency of the defense. That's been an issue, really. It, it always is an issue with Mike D'Antoni's teams. But it's going to be something that the Rockets are just going to have to do uh, if they're going to win this series. It, it just, I don't, I don't know, Robert. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I, I just don't feel good about the Rockets in this series. But there is so much on the line, you know. Mike D'Antoni, honestly, is is coaching for his job in this. I mean, if they get bow out in the first round, I, I definitely see the end of D'Antoni. So this is a big series. The Rockets are going to have to come through for a number of reasons, besides the obvious ones of continuing and trying to win a championship in a weird season to begin with. Do you think D'Antoni's got the excuse now of a Russell Westbrook if he doesn't play in the series, for example? No, I, I don't. I, I just, you know, because at some point, you know, almost every team is going to have some kind of injury. I mean, what's going to happen if, if Chris Paul gets hurt during the series? You know, then the Thunder are going to have that to contend with. So, no, at some point, you, you've got to play with who you have. And bowing out in the first round with a coach that didn't even get a contract extension when the season started, yeah, I, I just I, I don't have a good feeling about that at all. Do you like the idea that the Rockets, you know, just they, they didn't really have to play that hard in the last week? Or do you feel like there, there was some momentum that you get from, from doing that? I just don't know because in the NBA, you see teams kind of coasting – Towards the end, if this was just a regular season, like a you know a non-bubble season, you you wouldn't maybe think about that a whole lot. But with with them not having played consistently good basketball in months, I mean, think about it. Their only game that they really played four quarters in in the last few months was that Milwaukee Bucks game early in the bubble. That's what worries me more than anything, Robert. I mean, it's fine for one or two games. You're going to stumble toward the end of the season. Maybe you're resting players, or maybe you just, even if it's subconsciously, you're you're just kind of not giving it a full 100%. But the Rockets have had trouble with consistency all year long. I honestly think a lot of it has to do with the, the discipline and, and how you're coached as a team. And I've said this many, many times on this podcast and to other people, I just don't feel Mike D'Antoni is the type of coach that can lead the Rockets to a championship. Now, having said that, it, it, you know, things have been different. You know, they're in a bubble. Every, everything is different for everybody. So, I, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that this is a Rockets team that can pull it together. It certainly looked like they did when they got into the bubble. But the last few games, they have not looked like they did at the very beginning. So it does concern me, Robert, and that's that's one of the reasons I don't just don't feel good about this series going in. It's just the way they have played lately. And as I said, you can't come out and just stink up the first quarter against a team like Oklahoma City and expect to win a game or even a series. Life is about habits so much of the time. And with James Harden, I just don't see the habits that I like from him. And, and the thing that just bugged the crap out of me the last couple of weeks in the bubble was this James Harden that you know he gets double teamed all the time that's going to happen in the playoffs that we're going to see that nonstop. that's the that's the deal that you're signing up for with James Harden which is great so you should be four on three right if he's getting doubled if they're coming out at him you got a four on three mismatch but what James can't do which he does over and over and over again Stephen is he throws these little behind the back passes or he just there's these lazy passes out of the double team. Look, man, if if you're gonna beat that double team, make a strong pass to an open guy, and you want the ball there as quickly as possible because you know it doesn't give them that time to recover, and, and it just drives me up the wall with him. Yeah, and I know you brought that up before on previous podcasts, and you're absolutely right. And you know you combine that with 
you know, the, the fact that he consistently doesn't play great defense, but James Harden, this is the time that it's time for him to silence these critics once and for all. This is it. You know, you, you can't keep going year after year doing the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. Okay. You know, he's a great scorer, but you've got to do more than be a great scorer when you're in the postseason. You've got to do it on all ends of the court. And the, the passing has been another thing that Harden has struggled with. But you've just got to bring your game together all the way when you're in the postseason. Otherwise, people are going to continue to criticize you, and they're not going to put you up there with the LeBron James and the Michael Jordans and the players like that. If, if you want to be talked about as being one of the greatest players of all time— I'm talking about greatest players, not greatest scores of all time, then that's what James Harden needs to do. And he needs to do it starting now in this Oklahoma City series. Yeah, I, I'm not going to do my diatribe on James. We're wait and see. And, you know, it's just like you, you hope it's not Groundhog Day. What, you're not going to do a Robert Rant on this? Come on now. It's been done. <laughs> it's, yeah, it has been done. Uh, the schedule, the playoff schedule, uh, the Rockets not getting a whole lot of respect because – Keep in mind, you know, this is a weird deal with all the teams playing on the basically this was it the same court or two courts or whatever they're what do they play? They have three courts, if I'm not mistaken. And so with the the schedule, they're trying to speed it up a little bit in the bubble. So we're not seeing I don't think we're gonna see like the three and four and five days rest. Sometimes we would see early in the first round. There is I, I do see in the rocket schedule, there is two days off that they get at one point. Uh, but the, the rest of the time, it's just a day off, another game, a day off, another game. Yeah, it's like they alternate days. Yeah, every other day, I think, is a game in this series. It's every other day. So because of that, they're, they're, and they're trying to do that with all the teams in that first round, that means, you know, they want as many games as possible on t- television where you can see the entire game. So who gets priority? Well, this is the best series as far as I'm concerned, Stephen, it's the most interesting. I mean, maybe the Lakers Trailblazers is now a super compelling first round series. You know, nobody's getting excited about the Nuggets and the Jazz or any of these Eastern Conference series. They're, they're all boring. So this is the best series in the first round. And the first four games are 5.30, 2.30, 5 o'clock, 3 o'clock. I mean, no respect whatsoever, like Rodney says. No, it, it seems like that every year, doesn't it, Robert? And, you know, we – it just – I don't know. The, the Lakers are always going to get the top billing, especially with LeBron James and things of that nature. But, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, the Rockets-Thunder series, a lot of intriguing things, of which we've already talked about. But, you know, when you talk about the the national media or the national fan base, they're not going to look at it as analytically as someone like you and me, who are both Rocket fans and, and, and other Rocket fans. They're, they're going to go with whatever the marquee or whomever the marquee players are. And it's unfortunate. Yeah, so many afternoon games. I'm, I'm just like, I'm going to have to plan all my lunches and, and suppers around all the, the jumping around start times for the Rockets because... <laughs> It's all over the map, especially it's mostly afternoon, you know, late afternoon type of games. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be really weird watching playoff games on a weekday afternoon, too. That, that's going to be something to get used to. You and I were talking about this. We're going to try to do some post games here with the Rockets in the, in the, in the playoffs. This is going sort of be a play by between the, our two schedules. But that, that's the goal. We're going to try to hit you with a lot of post games on this uh, whole uh, series. Yeah, and it'll be exciting. It, you know, the, the one thing I will say, Robert, is, hey, there's a playoffs in Houston, or at least involving Houston teams. We're, we're finally, we, we have a sport that has a postseason. That's the one thing I think that's exciting me as much as anything. Now, obviously, if the Rockets bow out in the first round, it's not going to be very exciting for us Houston fans from then on out. But it's exciting. We're going to have postseason. It's involving a Houston team, so It'll it'll be cool to uh, do some post game podcasts with the Rockets uh, Thunder series. Keep your eye out, all you Houston sports talk junkies. Look on your feed for the post games. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Also looking forward to the Astros this week because uh, it looks like a different team in the last week. Well, I mean they're they're beating up on the Mariners a little bit, and Mariners aren't any good. But still, watching Jordan Alvarez show up for the Astros this week was like. When dad got me the cotton candy at the ball game when I was a kid, Steven's like, holy cow, this ball game's pretty cool, but it's so much sweeter when I get to eat this fluffy sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
We could maybe that could be his nickname, Fluffy Sugar. It's so good every time he comes back, and and you know it's even sweeter when he comes back to the team. So he he gets back, and his very first at bat hits a three run homer. Then he gets hit by a pitch to to have another run come in. He had four RBIs in his first game back. I'll tell you something else, Robert, that it, it, I noticed. Well, it took me a little while to notice this, but I want to see if you've figured this out. Does it seem to you that every time Jordan Alvarez joins the team, whether it's last year as a rookie or this year when he came back late from COVID-19, that's when Yuli Gurriel starts to light things up? You know, at least he did the first few games that Jordan was back. Yuri Gurriel starts, you know, he's hitting right after him. He starts hitting it. So it, it not only is it great to have Jordan Alvarez back just for himself, but he just provides a lift to the, you know, to the entire offense. The biggest question, though, the, the knees again. You know, we thought that maybe that had been behind him, but it, it just it looks like, you know, he was scratched from the, the lineup on Sunday. So that's going to be the big question. Can he stay healthy enough even for, well, it's not even a 60-game season for him, but for the rest of the season? That's going to be the thing to watch with him. But, boy, when he's in there, you know, no matter what he does, he just provides that spark. You, you still want to drop what you're doing and watch this guy hit. Yeah, you said it with Yuli. I was going to bring that up, too. He used four for seven with a double, triple, and two home runs when Jordan was in the lineup. The Cuban crushers are back. You said it also, the the knees. It's scary because Dusty Baker was asked, do you have a specific di- diagnosis or have they told you exactly what is wrong with Jordan's knees? And Baker said, I don't know. I'd be guessing if I told you. It's just a situation where his knees aren't good right now. So, Stephen, are, are we looking at Jordan's knees as the modern version of Yao Ming's feet? <laughs> Gosh, I oh. hope not. Yeah, I hope not. And not only that, too, Robert, is, you know, you're talking about from a position standpoint. I mean, it's obvious that he, he's just not an outfielder. It's not only just from a defensive standpoint, but just of his knees holding up. I mean, he's very valuable as a DH. But if he can't even be in there to hit when he's a DH— you know, because of his knees, then he certainly isn't going to be able to play positions like the outfield. So that's another thing to consider. But, oh, gosh, I, I boy, what a comparison. I, I certainly hope that that doesn't become an issue. But as he gets older, if it's not dealt with, it, it can only get worse before it gets better. So, yeah, we just have to hope that he can figure it out and just stay healthy long enough during the season to – contribute because the Astros need all the help they can get right now. He's in his early twenties. Well, that's what's scary about it. Is it he's what? 22, 20. Just, yeah. That's the thing. That's really a mystery. And you shake your head is this guy's not, you know, 34 or or even 27 or 28. He's in his early twenties. Does he just, you know, I know some people get arthritic joints in their twenties and thirties. It's rare, but it can happen, but it just makes you wonder what in the world is is making a guy in his late teens, early 20s have knee problems that, you know, people in their 30s and 40s get. And that's the other thing that you do when you or you have to look at when you when you talk about him long term is look at what is going on with the outfield situation, because Jordan can play left field at Minute Maid. You don't need to be Willie Mays out there to play left field at Minute Maid. But if Jordan's knees are an issue and he can't even be on the field in any capacity, if you've got to make him a DH, then that is very limiting as far as what you can do with the outfield because, you know, we got three free agents, you know, Kyle Tucker, we're going to get to him, but where, what is the future of the outfield if Jordan can't play any outfield? And, and let's just discuss this for a second, Stephen. If you have a guy that's going to be playing DH permanently, that he cannot play in the field because of knee issues and recurring knee issues, then that limits a lot of what you can do as an organization because you can't use the DH as much to rest players, which is what A.J. Hinch loved to do and which I think is a great idea with guys like Altuve or Bregman or Correa or Springer, whoever it may be. And that is something that James Click needs to figure out in this offseason. So, I don't know. Is this something that can be corrected? Like, what are they going to do with all this? Well, the only way it can be corrected is if his knees get healthy. I mean, the rest of it is is just all going to be into question, you know, and then and I know we're looking down the road of this, but but it's just something to consider is, you know, if you're just going to have a guy as a DH, how much are you willing to pay him to do that? 
you know, look at the the Shohei Otani situation with them trying to with the Angels trying to make him a pitcher, you know, and a DH, and and the struggles that he's having with pitching. Well, with Jordan Alvarez, it's going to be the same question. And you're talking about the Astros outfield, you know, you you have Reddick Springer uh, being free agent and and Brantley at the end of the season, and the Astros don't exactly have a lot of depth in the outfield to begin with, not even in their farm system. So there are just a lot of questions that we have to examine. You just have to really hope that Jordan Alvarez can, or or somebody can figure out what's going on with his knees and get them to the point where he can be an everyday player. And as you said, play left field. I mean, he he's not going to be lights out there, but he, he can certainly play the position, but not if his knees aren't going to hold up. That's going to be the big question. Let's get to some more good news because, you know, it was a good week for the Astros and as quiet as Alex Bregman's bat has felt like so far this year, his OPS is now 881. So he's really not far behind what you would like from Alex Bregman. And then we got to talk about Martin Maldonado and I can't say enough about him because this is somebody that I was expecting so very little from offensively, his batting average and OPS don't jump off your scorebook, but all he does is come up with big hits. All he does is come up with clutch hits. It's just really extraordinary. And would anybody believe, Stephen, that after 21 games, the machete leads the Astros in RBIs? Not Bregman or Yuli or Springer or Altuve. It's Maldonado. Yeah, and go figure. He can even steal bases. <laughs> he stole a base <laughs> on Sunday, wasn't it? And he's only had, I think that's only the third steal in his entire career. I mean, obviously, you know, catchers aren't base stealers. But... You know, it came at a great time. Oh, and it was his birthday. What is he, 34 now? Was, he had a great birthday. He stole a base. <laughs> but, yeah, and it's it's so much. When Maldonado is leading your team in RBIs, I, that's obviously great in one way, but in another way it kind of makes you think, all right, these other guys are have got to start hitting. They're, they're bound to get it together at some point. But when the machete is doing what he's doing, sometimes it's the little things, Robert. You know, you, you're not going to expect a guy like him to hit, you know, even 270, 280, 290, 300 or above. But when he does the little things like steal those bases or get the clutch hits, hit the home runs when he needs to, then that's the kind of thing that can give a team a lift. And if there's anything the team needed after last week, it was a lift. And, you know, not only getting Alvarez back, but just the way that Martin Maldonado has played and, the you know, the way he is behind the plate. You know, he he convinced Lance McCullers Jr., you may recall, last week after Lance had that difficult outing in Arizona. He just basically came out and said, hey, trust me. You know, and that's important is if a pitcher trusts a catcher to call the game, and, and Lance McCullers, to his credit, allowed Martin Maldonado to call the game, and he pitched much better. So not only does, does Martin Maldonado provide such great, you know, things with his bat at certain situations— but he's just so great behind the plate. And if the pitchers trust him, then that makes him even more valuable to the team. And he's just throwing lasers down to second base, brother. He's well, he mowing is guys and, down. and his arm. Yeah, he's mowing guys down. And that, that was one of the reasons that I was glad the Astros got him back. Because if that's something that he has been consistently good at, you know, his machete cutting down runners at, at second base or, you know, throwing them out, that's been his strong point uh, pretty much through his whole career. So, that that can only make him even more val- a valuable asset. Okay. We do have one bad thing to report on the Astros from this past week. And it, it, it's Jose Altuve who has continued to struggle. Maybe, 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 maybe we saw him coming out of it a little bit uh, towards the end of the Mariners series. But one of the things about Altuve you got to love is just what a leader he is and just an incredible you know, guy in the clubhouse and he goes to Dusty Baker before Saturday's game. And he says, look, uh, I'm not helping the club at the top of the lineup. You got to move me down. And Altuve, you know, he said he appreciated the respect Dusty's given him, but said, look, the other guys are swinging the bats better. Dusty said it's the only other, he's, he's the only one of two players, I should say, that have ever asked to do that in his 30 years as a manager. Stephen, that this is all you need to really know about Jose Altuve. Well, that's right. And you know what? This is the same guy who in 2015, after the Astros were knocked out of the postseason by the Royals, he went into AJ's office practically crying and, and apologizing for not coming through in the playoffs. 
And, and I know, you know, that the Astros, their, their character has been called into question because of the cheating, and rightfully so. But look, this guy, Jose Altuve, you, you can say what you want about everything else. But when it comes to being a leader, you know, and, and I'm not just talking about on-field production. Altuve has, has definitely proven that on the field with his production. He is stumbling this year, no doubt about it. But when you look at it from the overall standpoint, there are other characteristics of a leader. It's what you do off the field. It's the example that you lead, especially if you have young guys around. That's who I want on my team is Jose Altuve because he is the unquestioned leader of this team. Yeah, George Springer is a leader. Carlos Correa is a leader, but they do it in different ways. So is Alex Bregman. But I I just feel Jose Altuve from so many standpoints – is the leader of this team. And he just showed it again by basically being as unselfish as you can be by going saying, you know what? I don't deserve to be in the top of the lineup. You need to put me down because I'm not playing well. Talk about being in the minority of players who do that in this game or in professional sports in general. That that, that just, to me, speaks volumes about Jose Altuve's character. You can talk a lot of things about this Astros team, but you cannot be higher than you are right now with this pitching staff, considering everything that's happened to them. We got to continue to talk about these guys because Christian Javier with another great outing. They're now hitting 153 against him. Andre Scrub, they're hitting 161 against him. He continues to be shockingly great. Blake Taylor, they're hitting 162. Anoli Paredes, 218. Uh, this pitching staff, sixth in ERA, which is pretty amazing considering. They're 20th in whip and only 17th in strikeouts with the losses of Cole Verlander, Osuna, and Harris, those guys. But one thing they do well is keep the ball in the ballpark. And they've just given up the seventh fewest home runs in the major league, Stephen. That's the key to this staff is they've not given up the long ball. Well, that's very true. And we knew the strikeout production was going to go down. But sometimes, you know, they come at the critical times and – you know, you also have to talk about uh, some other guys who, who have come through, too. I mean, it's great to see Fran Valdez pitching much better than he has in the past. I don't know if the talk that Dusty Baker had with him, you know, during spring training helped when he, you know, compared him to uh, Fernando Valenzuela and what Valenzuela used to do to kind of get his concentration back, keep him, you know, keep himself calm. But Fran Valdez has come through. And how about Brooks Raley? I mean, who is this guy? They get him in a trade. He's been in the Korean League, what, since 2013 or, you know, the last several years. Hasn't been in the major leagues for years and years. He's a left-handed guy. He comes in, and he's pitched pretty well. So, again, it's these unknown guys that have come through, and it's, uh, you know, the guys that you thought were going to come through or hoped would, like the the Josh Jameses and the Forrest Whitleys, who haven't even been with a big team, that haven't. So, yeah, I just I can't say enough about these guys that – before the season, most of them weren't even in the conversation. And right now they are in the conversation and in a good way. Can we put Brent Strom in charge of the pandemic? Yeah. I talk about just, you know, being able to solve problems or, or solve people. Uh, Brent Strom is definitely the best at it. I'd say. All right. One just minor quibble that I have beyond, you know, everything has been pretty good this week, but Kyle Tucker, you know, I'm just as excited as every Astros fan to see Kyle Tucker hit a game-winning home run on Sunday, and that was great, and it was fun, and I hope this sparks his offense. But I've gotten people questioning me on Twitter for questioning Tucker's future because I, I'm, I'm just wondering, where are we with Kyle Tucker at this point? Look, it's one swing of the bat so far that he had on Sunday, so don't jump on me yet. He's still hitting 195, still scares me on defense, Still don't like his plate discipline. Four walks and 77 at-bats is not good. Does he look like he has a plan when he comes to the plate? No. Do I feel like he's looking for certain pitches or timing his swing based on the defense? No. Do I want him to be a superstar? Of course. Of course I do. I, I, you know, I'm an Astros fan. But is he right now, Stephen? No way. He's just not. He's got a long, long way to go. Well, it's all about consistency. And with Kyle Tucker, you haven't had that. And. You know, there have been questions in the past about just how much does he prepare himself for Major League play? You know, they said uh, after last season he put in a lot of time with that. But, you know, the proof's in the pudding. It, it has to happen on the field. 
And until Kyle Tucker can consistently show that he, you know, you're certainly not going to compare him with Ted Williams. But, you know, when he first came up, everybody was just they couldn't stop talking about his swing and how it's compared so much to Ted Williams. Well, obviously, he, he is not producing He's not even in the same world, the same planet as Ted Williams when it comes to production. So it's going to amount to production over a period of time. And that's the case with any young player. You you keep, I mean, I want to root for the guy, Robert. I want to root for Kyle Tucker. Certainly the Astros need him to produce. As we just said, they, they don't have a lot of depth in the outfield to start with. So Kyle Tucker really needs to step up, not only offensively, but defensively. The, the one thing I would say he is above average in is the base running. He, he is a very smart base runner. He may not have Miles Straw type speed, but on the bases, he's very smart, a very good base runner. But he needs to get it together at the plate, be consistent, and just get better defensively. And you can only hope that, you know, with each year, you just start seeing things getting progressively better. And he can at least come close to being the Kyle Tucker that everybody kept you know, whooping and hollering about when he was in the minors. The baseball geeks came at me on Twitter saying, well, look how hard he's hitting the ball according to this stat and that stat. But, you know, it's not about that. The wee Willie Keeler, you go back in the zillion years ago, look up wee Willie Keeler. He says, hit them where they ain't. And that's what he's got to learn how to do. The one positive I will say, Stephen, is I heard him say that in the postgame on Sunday. He said, look, you know, I've got to get better at that. You know, I'm hitting the ball hard, but I'm hitting it right at guys. I'm hitting it towards first base or second base or whatever. So at least he's aware. And, and that's the one thing I always, when I look at Kyle Tucker, I go, do, do, are, you, are you paying attention to what's going on? Are, are you, you know, engaged? Are you seeing what everybody else is seeing? And so that was good. Well, it is good. And that's the first step is you've got to realize you have a problem. And, you know, the, but then the second step is sometimes much harder and that's correcting it. And that's what Kyle Tucker is, is going to have to do to correct it. Okay. Now this is interesting because, for Astros fans, maybe it feels like the Astros are getting hit by a pitch these days more than usual. If you're if you're feeling that, you, you might be feeling a correct feeling there because it's but it's not just the Astros. How about this, Stephen? Batters are getting hit by pitch at an average of one per game, which means they are twice twice as likely to get hit by a pitch than they were back in 1992. There's just not the control, especially. It's especially up among relievers, just not the control there as it used to be. No, there's not. And and let's let's face it, it's going to be magnified. Every time the Astros get hit by a pitch, it's going to be magnified just because of everything that happened and all the talk that, you know, occurred during the offseason. So from the Astros standpoint, that's kind of a guessing game. But, yeah, as, as I've watched other teams play around the league, Robert, the biggest thing that's jumped out at me with pitchers is problems with command. You know, with with wildness, I've just I've seen more wildness in pitchers, not just in hitting batters, but just getting the ball over the plate and in the strike zone. You know, and even in the Astros cases, uh, Christian Javier's had some spots where oh he was he was in the zone, he was throwing strikes, and then all of a sudden he can't find the plate for seven or eight pitches. But yeah, I'm seeing a lot more walks, just a lot more wild pitches and hit batters. And I, you know, we could probably chalk it up to the old excuse of what kind of a weird season it's been. You started with spring training, then you stopped, had the layoff, pitchers aren't in rhythm. Whatever the reason, it's uh, it's kind of a strange thing to see this season, you know, throughout all of Major League Baseball. And I don't know if it's just this season. I, I feel like that trend has gone upwards. And I'm not, I don't worry about like a Christian Javier or, I mean, the Astros have a zillion rookies. Like the Astros being a little bit wild, that's understandable. I mean, I, I that's, look, if they weren't, if these guys were all, inc- I mean, we would be going, this is the most incredible thing we've ever seen in, in, in the history of baseball. All of a sudden, you got rookie pitchers that are pitching like veterans left and right. But I, I just, I, this is something that I, I think we have seen gradually go up. And I, I, I don't know, maybe it's partly, think about it, Stephen, maybe it's partly to blame that, you know, we're seeing guys being rushed to the major leagues a lot sooner than they used to be. Well, that's a lot of it. Is it, are they really prepared? And we have to remember that pitching is is probably even more of a mental game than it is a physical game. And it takes so much intense concentration. And, you know, it's not just the fundamentals of, you know, making sure that your location and your command is good. 
But it takes a lot of concentration to keep that going on and on and on. And, you know, a lot of these young guys just aren't used to that. But but you're even seeing some veterans kind of slip off a little bit in regard to control. So pitching is, you know, the mental side of pitching, I think, as much as anything. And, you know, when you're in the major leagues, you've got to put it all together. And And some of these guys just clearly aren't ready. But in a season like what you have this year, when when everything is different, when you have a lot of young guys together and, and you don't have fans yelling and screaming, it, it's probably an advantage to them. I know we've talked about that. But over the long haul, that's that's when you're going to find out how much can these guys really stay and, and how much can they really be consistent on the mound, especially when it comes to location and, and command. Okay, it's our favorite part of the show now. It's uh, Stephen's least favorite game that we're we're going to. And it's whose Houston sports birthday is it? So this is uh, something listeners can play along with at home, and we hope you will. And I'm going to try to put one on a tee for you, Stephen, right off the bat. This current Astro turned 34 on Sunday. He was mentioned in the podcast already. He was drafted by the Angels in the 27th round in 2004. He grew up... Poor, eating a lot of chicken and rice in Naguabo. I'm going to screw this up. Naguabo, Puerto Rico. The Astros traded pitching prospect Patrick Sandoval the first time they acquired him. Notice I said the first time because they later traded for Tony Kemp to get him. Who am I talking about, Stephen? Um, you're talking about Max Stassi, right? That's that's the guy. No, I'm teasing, of course. I, yeah, I'm the one who mentioned him. Martin Maldonado, the machete. He turned 34 on Sunday, um, so happy birthday to Martin Maldonado. All right, here we go. This one's a little bit, a little bit trickier. This is a former Texan who turned 29 Sunday, so he's recent. Stephen, not that, not that old, came out of nowhere as an undrafted free agent for the Texans back in 2013, but currently plays for the Broncos. He made a big stop, by the way, between Houston and Denver, in Jacksonville. This Georgia native and University of Central Florida product made the Pro Bowl in 2017. On January 7, 2017, he started his first career playoff game and intercepted a pass attempt by Connor Cook in the Texans' victory over the Raiders in the wildcard game. The next week, he deflected two passes and intercepted Tom Brady's pass during a loss to the eventual Super Bowl champion Patriots in the divisional round. So, Steven... Who's this Rick Smith undrafted gem? Oh, my gosh. It's got to be Vernon Perry, right? Oh, no, wait. He played for the Oilers. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Any guesses on this one? Or is it too too hard? Uh, Yeah, that's one I should get. Happy 29th birthday, A.J. Boye. I forgot that he... Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. A.J. Boye. Yeah, he was a guy that just... uh, You know, it's unfortunate because the Texans found this total gem. I remember seeing him at camp. I want to say it was 2014 and going, who is this guy? Uh, because that's the year he really came on for the Texans. And you started to think, oh, this, this guy could be, and he was such a good guy. I mean, I got a chance to talk to him numerous times in the Texans locker room. The next one that I've got here is a, is an Astro reliever who turned 55 Sunday. So this is an older guy played for the Astros from 1990 in 1993 so think early 90s Astros Stephen he's a Port Arthur Texas native drafted out of the University of Louisiana at Lafayette made 215 appearances for the Astros compiled a 3-2-2 ERA so he was rock solid back in those early 90 teams came back to the Astros briefly in 1996 after stints with the Yankees and the Reds his nickname came from the initial of his first name that nickname, very similar to a Stan Lee comic book series in the 1960s that has become a very famous film series over the last couple of decades. Who is this mystery man? Did you say he was a reliever or a starter? Or did you say? He was a reliever, primarily a reliever. Well, I could always go with one of my favorite names of all time, Mark Limongello, but I know that's not him. So. Oh, I love that name. That's one of my favorites, too. Uh, this is the X-Man, Xavier, Xavier Hernandez. Hernandez. Ah, the X-Man. Happy 55th right. birthday to Xavier Hernandez. Yeah, the, 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 X-Man, the X-Men series. So I was referring That's to right. that. Because I, 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 I wasn't into that comic series, but yeah, I do remember now that that was the X-Man. And he was, he, he was effective for a time. And yeah, he did have a couple of stints with the team. I remember that now. 
This former Texan QB turns 37 tomorrow, Tuesday. The UConn grad made a 13-year career out of being a backup quarterback. So this is a career backup, but only started 12 games that entire time. Played 26 games all told. He once accidentally ran out of the back of the end zone for a safety. He spent 2009 and 2010 with the Texans. And that time, he is best known, Stephen, you might remember this, for forgetting a piece of his equipment during a game when the coach asked him to get in there. Stephen, who am I talking about? Well, you're talking about backup quarterbacks who are old. Um, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's still in the league, isn't he? Yeah, Fitz, he's still around. You could, you know, Case Keenum, you got him. But, oh, come on. You got to remember Dan Orlovsky forgetting his helmet. Remember when he forgot his helmet before oh, halftime? For- yeah, Dan Orlovsky. That's that's right. Wow. Yeah, how do you, boy, talk about talk about having a short circuit in the brain, <laughs> Dan Orlovsky. And he's a broadcaster now, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a very vocal broadcaster. You see some hot takes from him on Twitter. Uh, I've got one more for you. Um, This one is an ex-Astro fan favorite. Turns 34 tomorrow, Tuesday. And Steven, he owns a World Series ring with the Astros. So that's a big hint for you right there. This Dallas native and Astro fan favorite turned on a scholarship at Rice University, but instead took a scholarship to Texas A&M. But anxiety depression, and substance abuse ended his promising baseball career for four years. Over that time, he did everything from being a parking valet to working as a janitor and a ski lift operator. He even worked at Yellowstone Park before finally coming back to baseball parks. On March the 27th this year, he announced he was retired from baseball after a six-year career. Who am I speaking of? Well, you said Rice University, so it has to be Lance Berkman, right? No. Um, would it be Evan Gaddis? There you go. Also yeah. Blanco, Evan Gaddis is 34. He's same birthday week, uh, or actually within a couple days apart, actually, of each other. Maldonado. I mean, Maldonado. Yeah, same age. Yeah. Same age, right? Yeah, yeah. A couple yeah. days apart of uh, Martin Maldonado and both turning 34. So Yeah, and Evan Gaddis, as you, those things you were talking about, it's quite a story. I mean, he really did battle depression and... It just it, it it basically it almost ended his career, but it was so good. I, that was one of the things I thought about when the Astros did win the World Series. You know how great it must feel for Evan Gaddis to to finally reach that point. And you know it, at least he he did have that brief. He didn't have a long long career with a bunch of World Series rings, and he's certainly not going to be in the Hall of Fame. But it's it just one of those feel good stories you you like to see. Now, especially that he did get his ring, no matter how brief his career might have been. Also want to wish a former Skeeters manager, Gary Gaetti, a happy birth. 60, ah, 62 yes. this week. Um, and if anybody forgot, and I'm sure you remember his career very well, Stephen. Hell of a player. World Series ring, four gold gloves, two all-star appearances, and an ALCS MVP. Yeah, Gary Gaetti, class guy. And yeah, he, he actually has done a pretty good job managing the Skeeters over the years. So happy birthday to Gary Gaetti. Right. And the other thing we got to talk about just briefly is uh, if you haven't, go check out my last podcast on Bill Yeoman, who passed away on Wednesday of last week. We talked about him on Monday being out of the hospital from COVID, but, you know, he was 92. We we knew it was going to be a tough recovery for, for him. And, you know, this is just a great show, you know, not because of me, but because I was, you know, able to get some people that told some fantastic stories about Bill Yeoman, former Cotton Bowl MVP. A Lois Campbell was fantastic. And so was uh, Butch Gutzman, who was his recruiting coordinator back in the late 70s in their heyday when they went to all the Cotton Bowls and won a couple. Uh, just that was uh, it's just it's f- so fun to talk about Bill Yeoman and all of his accomplishments, Steve. And he was Black Lives Matter before it was a deal. Well, that's right. And, you know, he, he of course, the first coach to integrate in Texas. And a lot of people don't know that. And uh, yeah, you need people like that to pave the way. And Bill Yeoman, just a class guy all the way around. And yeah, he won a lot of football games at U of A. He he really, he put U of H on the map, uh, not just with winning football games, but the fact that he was willing to integrate the team 
and and was very involved in that process. So, yeah, I was really sad to see that. I of course I I think over the last few years he'd been in declining health, you know, for other reasons besides COVID nineteen, but it's just a guy that you you rooted for. You hoped he would recover enough to last a little bit longer, but. You know, R.I.P. Bill Yeoman, just a, a great contributor on and off the field for U of H and, and really college football in general. And I understand you've got to be in your 40s to even remember him. I'm guessing a lot of our listeners do not remember Bill Yeoman as a coach. And it's a great it's something just a great education. If you go back and listen to what he did and some of the stories that we have from the show on Friday. Also, Mark Vanderbeer was on Throwback Thursday. Uh, that's worth a listen because you find out where rock and roll came from, which is one of my <laughs> yeah, favorite story. Houston. I mean, it's up there, right? Steven and your all time Houston catchphrases for uh, Houston sports figures. I, I'm just trying to think of Holy Toledo, Milo, Holy Toledo with Milo, you know, and uh, just with the thing about Mark Vandermeer. And, and he also does when the Texans score a touchdown in a real fancy way, like if it's a flea flicker or something kind of, you know, his his other call is razzle-dazzle, you know, so rock and roll, razzle-dazzle, but it's the way he does it. You know, sometimes it's not just about what you say, it's how you say it. And Mark Vandermeer just, he has that, he has that knack. So yeah, it's great. And he has an interesting life too. So definitely want to go back and hear that podcast. Yeah, you're going to be surprised if you haven't, if you never heard the show that I did with Mark Vandermeer, it was, actually goes back to my other podcast on the Texans. But if you, if you haven't heard that one, uh, there's going to be some stuff that you, you, you're you not going to be familiar with, with with Mark Vandermeer. Even if you listen to him on a regular basis talking Texans on some of the radio shows, you, you probably don't know a couple of these stories. So it's worth a listen. Uh, before we close things out, I also want to remind everybody that uh, we'd love to get your feedback, suggestions, questions, or topics. We're still trying to potentially set up a Zoom happy hour with the Rockets, but it's it's gotten a little bit complicated with their with their schedule. But we'll let you know. Uh, if that happens, just keep an eye on Twitter. Keep an eye on Facebook. Uh, we'll, we'll put it out there, and, and we're, we're trying to partner up with somebody on that as well. You can always message us, of course, through Twitter and Facebook or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Uh, share us, like us, do all the stuff that we typically ask from you, and uh, to just be be engaged in the podcast a little bit for us and, and uh, support us if you would. Uh, other than that, just stay healthy and stay safe, everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.